The reading is taken from Acts 11, verses 1 to 18. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticised him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear at his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came upon them, as he had come upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we begin. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. And so, Father, we pray that as we reflect on the message of this chapter this morning, that you would lift our hearts to sing of your salvation. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm sure all of us are familiar with the slow motion replay. Uh, You're watching a football match or a tennis match, and someone scores a goal or hits an ace, and then you get several slow motion replays Uh, showing you what's just happened. And uh, the reason we get slow motion replays is to show us that something significant has occurred. There's a particular goal uh, that was scored in uh, 1999. I'm not going to tell you which team it was or who scored it because you'll judge me, Uh, but it was the Champions League final and it was scored just on the cusp of injury time and it turned the whole game around. And to be honest, I would be embarrassed to tell you how many times I've watched that goal back uh, in slow motion, because it was a significant moment. It was an era-defining moment, you might say. 
And this morning's passage is like a slow-motion replay. You may have had that sense of deja vu as we read it, uh, because the vast majority of this chapter is what we heard last week in chapter 10. Now, maybe you ask the question, what do we hear in chapter 10? I mean, a week's a long time, isn't it? Uh, For chapter 10, uh, we saw that Cornelius and his family were converted. And the big headline there was that the gospel has overcome its final barrier and gone out to the Gentile world. And here in chapter 11, we get a slow-motion replay of what's just happened in chapter 10. Now, my big question in my prep has been, why do we need the slow-motion replay? Why do I need to see this again? But then I notice that this passage has a very different tone to chapter 10. There's There's a negative undercurrent to this chapter. Have a look at um, verse 2 of chapter 11. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now the group Luke, our author, speaks about there is um, likely to be Jewish Christians uh, and they begin to criticize Peter. Now why do they criticize him? Now, notice what they don't say. They don't say, well, Cornelius could never become a Christian. Or they don't say, why have you shared the gospel with Cornelius? Um, It's clearly not for him. Rather, look at verse 3 again. They criticize him because he went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. In other words, they're criticizing him for mixing together. Now, why would they have a problem with that? Well, we saw this last week, didn't we, that the Jewish people have all sorts of divisions and distinctions in what they eat and the fact they circumcise their children to remind them that they were different from the world around. But over the centuries, that division had turned into a sense of superiority and uh, separation had turned into prejudice. And So much so that Jews were forbidden to go into a Gentile house, let alone eat with them. And it's very subtle, this, isn't it? Because it's worth just really spotting what the problem is here. Because it's not that Gentiles can become Christians. It's the fact that Peter's behaving like we're now all the same. Now we've become Christians. Um, I read uh, this book. I think this was the first book I read when I became a Christian. It's called What's So Amazing About Grace? And um, in the book, it it struck me, and I still remember it to this day, how the author talked about his childhood. Now, he grew up in the US with um, the kind of context of um, the civil rights movement. And um, he uh, admits that a lot of his childhood, uh, there was a lot of racism uh, about. And uh, one of the remarkable things he talks about is... Uh, how he treated uh, some of those civil rights uh, uh, protesters and um, what he calls um, yeah, other, other races. Um, so, so much so that the church would have patrols on the door uh, to stop what he calls any black troublemakers trying to come in and interrogate us. And if they did, he would give them a card which said, we cannot extend a welcome to you and respectfully request that you leave the premises quietly. Here's the thing, if any of you, this is the remarkable thing, if any of you is here with a sincere desire to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we should be glad to deal with you individually, 
but Scripture does not teach the brotherhood of man and the fatherhood of God. Now, I wonder if anyone took them up on that offer of coming to the Christian Explore course. But you see the point. They're saying, look, you can have Scripture. We're happy to explain the Bible to you. But don't think we're brothers. Don't think we can extend a welcome to you. And that, I think, is some indication of this issue in chapter 11. How do we see each other in the church? Is there that division between us so that we have two churches or second-class Christians that we're slightly different to one another? Now, of course, I'm not suggesting for one minute that there's that sort of overt racism that Philip Yancey talks about, but I guess all of us will be tempted at some point to feel a sense of superiority or difference from others. I mean, how many of us have found ourselves over the last few months saying to uh, our partner or whatever, um, they're not socially distanced? And how many of us have then thought, well, I am, and so I'm a little bit better than them? And of course, we've got Christian versions of that, uh, haven't we? We think, oh, I'm more spiritual than that person, or I know my Bible better, or I wouldn't behave like that, or I wouldn't spend my money that way. And it's not that we're denying that people can't become Christians, but it's we want to retain that sense of we're different, we're special. And this is the reason I think Luke wants us to hear this this morning, that we get, we, we get the slow motion replay, so it really hammers into us that we should operate differently as a church. You cannot believe the gospel, Luke's going to say, and retain a divided church. Why not? Well, first of all, um, Peter tells these uh, critics who it was behind this move to Cornelius. See, um, Peter retells the events of Cornelius' conversion, but the way he does puts the spotlight on God's initiative and God's action behind it. Just notice um, where he says the sheep came from, verse 5. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheep being let down from heaven. Or verse 9, the voice that spoke from heaven. And in verse 10, the the sheet's taken back up to heaven. You see the point? It's not coming from me, it's coming from from heaven. Uh, And notice the divine coincidence, verse 11. Right then, these three men who had been sent from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was saying. He says, right then. It's a, in the original, it's a kind of behold, look, look what happened. See, the same time Peter's having this vision, the doorbell goes, uh, and these visitors arrive. It's, it's meant to be a divine coincidence, uh, but of course not a coincidence. Uh, and then notice what, uh, who it is that tells Peter uh, to go with the visitors. Verse 12, the Spirit told me. And so Peter, throughout this retelling, this slow-motion replay, is saying, look, it wasn't me that brought these Gentiles in. It wasn't some idea I dreamed up. This was God's work and God's initiative. See, God does want every people, uh, every type of person from every walk of life, every race, every nation, every language. And we see that throughout Scripture. Uh, See, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, he promises Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Do you see the point? This was the plan all along to bring all people, uh, all types of people, into uh, God's 
uh, nation and uh, kingdom. Or I'll take uh, this quote from Isaiah where he's speaking of the servant. He says this, it is too small a thing uh, for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. See, the whole of the Bible is heading to this point, and Peter's point is that this is now where it's happened. That God has shown that he desires all people to be part of his kingdom. It's very difficult, isn't it, I guess, for them to keep looking down on a group of people when they know that God has brought them in. It doesn't quite fit, does it, to say that the God of the universe has worked things to give his son to lay down his life, to cover their sins, to welcome them into his eternal kingdom forever, and then to say, like Philip Yancey says, we cannot extend a welcome to you. I mean, who are we if God's put these people on the guest list to start uh, monitoring the door? And Peter's point here is that God wants all types of people in his church. Now, it may be that some of us this morning just need to hear that again, Uh, Maybe we're people that we don't feel we naturally fit in certain groups. We feel a bit of an imposter uh, when we're with other people. And we're tempted because of that to think, well, the church is not for me. But Luke is saying, look, it is exactly for people like you. It's for people like Cornelius, people who are on the outside. There are no limits to those who God can make part of his people. And I guess there's a lesson for us as a church, isn't there, as well, um, about how we treat one another once we're in and made part of this uh, part of the church. Uh, I remember a a conversation at a previous church I was at, uh, not this one, uh, but a new family had started to come along to the church. And um, they were what you might call kind of everyday people. Uh, They lived in a council house. I haven't got a problem with a council house. My family's from one. Uh, But they had like two massive dogs, and one of them had pink hair. I mean, they were slightly different. And I remember people in the church being really unsettled by their presence. People saying, well, we've got nothing in common with them. How could I ever have them around for my, my house for dinner? What would I talk about? And it was very easy for those kind of class divides to kind of cross over into the church But they were followers of Jesus, and because they were followers of Jesus, we know that God had made himself known to them. And so who were we to be hung up on other distinctions? I wonder if we could just do a little bit of an experiment now. Just think for a moment that person that winds you up most in church life. Um, And if you could write down their names. No, I'm joking. You don't have to tell me. Just hold it in your heads uh, for the moment. And just think to yourself, God has chosen them. He's made them to be part of his people. Now, I know what you're thinking. You'll probably think, why would God choose them? But I can guarantee that that person's probably thinking, why has God chosen you? (laughs) See, it's God's initiative, Peter says. He has brought these people in. And so there is no distinction once we're in the church because God has brought us in. But that is, in and of itself, is not enough to convince his critics. So Peter goes on to give them one more truth uh, which should change their minds. Uh, He speaks about how it is they became Christians. Now, the way Peter speaks about 
Cornelius' conversion is quite interesting here because he, he doesn't speak as we might typically speak. He doesn't say Cornelius prayed a prayer of repentance. He doesn't say uh, he made a confession. Rather, look at what he does say, verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us in the beginning. See, how does Peter show that Cornelius was a fully-fledged Christian? Well, because the Holy Spirit fell on him. Now, it's worth saying that the way the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius is a a particularly dramatic instance. It's not there to kind of show us that that should be typical of every conversion. Uh, And many of the conversions in Acts uh, aren't dramatic like Cornelius's. But rather, Peter's using it to say, do you notice what he says, verse 15? As the Spirit came on us in the beginning. In other words, what happened with Cornelius is a carbon copy of what happened with us. In other words, it's another Pentecost. Chapter 10 is Pentecost 2.0. It's a Pentecost for the Gentiles. Now, why does that matter? Well, because Peter's saying, look, we got in the same way. Look at what he says, verse 16. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's worth just saying, again, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't some sort of special experience that we have. It's not a kind of second-stage initiation. Clive um, spoke about this, uh, I believe, in chapter 2, so go and listen to that for a bit more detail. But it's not talking about some extra experience. Rather, it's an idea that comes from the book of Joel in the Old Testament. See, in the book of Joel, God God tells his people that they're in a mess, the judgment has come, and worse is to come, and, and, and the worst thing is they are powerless to do anything about it. But here's what God promises in the book of Joel. Afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. In other words, God is saying, look, you think you can save yourself. You think you can get yourself out of the hole. You think you can change your life, but you can never do it. But I will. I will pour out my spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, he did exactly that. He fulfilled it with the Jewish people. And on the day of Cornelius' conversion, he fulfilled it with the Gentiles. And Peter's saying to his critics, look, remember, we needed the spirit. And they need the spirit. We both need God's grace and mercy. It's like being on an aeroplane. You may remember aeroplanes, they were like cigar tubes with wings on and big engines. It's been a while. The only thing that gets you 35,000 feet up in the air is those huge engines that push you forward and up. You can't do it. I mean, it'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it, to sit on a plane and turn to the person next to you and start boasting about your ability to fly. And Peter's point here is it's ridiculous to start boasting about our ability to be special or to be different. We need the Holy Spirit. They needed the Holy Spirit. So we can't think that we're different. Ephesians 4 reminds us, don't we, that we keep the unity between one another because, Paul says, we've been brought in by the same Spirit. It's not one church for Jews, one church for Gentiles. 
And when we're tempted to have that sense of superiority uh, with others, I, I know it often, for me, comes from a place of insecurity, trying to kind of prove myself by, by myself by thinking I'm slightly different to that person next to me. But God doesn't allow us to do that, does he? The gospel doesn't allow us to do that. Because the gospel tells us that none of us deserve to be on the guest list. All of us need his spirit to change our hearts, to see the Lord Jesus, and to come into his kingdom. That family I spoke about um, earlier on, the the pink hair family, uh, they didn't all have pink hair. Uh, But um, it was a good news story because in the end, uh, the church actually changed. I remember um, that uh, lots of people did start to re-examine their prejudices and asked about um, how we're kind of welcoming different people in our community, and they tried to do something about it. And I thought that's a great thing, isn't it? To be able to recognize the problem and to be able to solve it. As we finish, I I want us to finish with the question at the end of verse 17. It's a, a question that Peter asked rhetorically, but it is a question, I think, that Luke puts here to, uh, to grab us and to ask the question ourselves. He says, verse 17, So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? Now the word there for oppose is the word hinder. It's, it's like the idea of grabbing someone by the shoulders as they're trying to run away. I do this with my kids quite a bit. Uh, and they're trying to run away, not in a horrible way, but it's a bit of fun. And um, you kind of hinder them, you kind of grab them back. And actually, this is an important word in the book of Acts. It pops up at some crucial times. So when the Ethiopian eunuch becomes, uh, when when he's baptized, um, he asks, who can hinder me? And in fact, it's the last word in this whole book of Acts. Um, Acts 28 verse 31, the last verse says he proclaimed, this is talking about Paul, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Do you see the point? Luke wants to show that the word has gone out without hindrance. Now, this is the reason I think we get this slow motion replay. Because he's showing us that after this point, the church will go out to the world And he's put this here to show us that if we want that word to go out unhindered, well, then we need to grasp this lesson. That there's no special group. There's no church for one type of people, church for another type of people. That God has brought all types of people from all backgrounds, all races, into his kingdom. There's no sense of superiority, no sense of looking down the nose. We're all forgiven sinners. We're all one family. And Luke shows us that when the church grasps that, well, then they're able to go forward. I mean, look at their reaction uh, in verse 18. It's remarkable, this, isn't it? This is the critics that criticize the Apostle Peter. And verse 18, we read, When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. See, when we grasp that it is God's work, and when we grasp that it is His grace by His Spirit, well, then our criticisms and sense of in-groups and superiority turn into rejoicing. Rejoicing that God can include us, and that God can include all types of people 
in our communities. I thank God for what we have here at St. Mary's. Uh, One of the reasons I really wanted to come and work here was just there is a mix of people uh, from all different backgrounds, and I thank God um, for that. Uh, And this passage is not meant to sort of beat us up and say we're doing everything wrong, but it is here to remind us to keep doing what is good and remind us uh, to keep hold of what is good. We can't take it for granted. And especially in our world where we know there's lots of division, and in some ways it feels that division's becoming more deep-seated. We need to hear this again and again as a church, that there is no sense of superiority between one another. And where there is, that we keep turning from that temptation. How do we do that? Remember that God's initiative, he alone brings us in, and that God's grace alone makes us part of his people. Let's pray. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God. Our gracious God, we praise you so much for including people from all backgrounds, all nations, all races into your kingdom through the Lord Jesus. And we pray, Father, that that would, as a church, give us great confidence as we take this gospel to the ends of the earth in our way. But also, Father, help us to be a church like the early church here who turns uh, to praise you for what you have done. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.